It is now time for our main speaker. Please welcome Todd Jay from Idlewild. Hey guys, my name is Todd. I'm an alcoholic. And um, Freddie just joined us. I had another 10 minutes that I had invited in about like three minutes and six seconds before it was time to see you guys. I just asked Freddie to put his pants on and show up, okay? And so I just want you to know, he's one of my favorite people. I, and um, I hope you guys really enjoyed him. So first off, I just want to say my, my sobriety is June 3, 1993. So I haven't had a drink or anything mind-altering in a little over 27 years. Um, I have a sponsor. He's sitting right up in the top corner. I'm staring at him in that white beard. Okay, so he's here to keep an eye on me and make sure I don't lie much. And let's see, um, I, have a, I have a home group. It's, it's been the Robber's Roost, which uh, down in Vista on Thursday nights at 6.30 for 18 years. And um, so I got a home group. I've got a big, I've got a big book. When Freddie was talking about it, I have mine right here. It's all tattered and torn. I've got a sponsor. I've got a higher power. I've got all these tools, you know. But I got to tell you, like, uh, all those tools, I brought those with me tonight. But what helped me kind of get into the right place was like a newcomer that was sharing um, their desire to kind of make a difference. And I, and I try to reach out and say, that, thank you so much. That really helped me. But I really want you to know, I don't know what adjusts your perspective in a second. But when anyone says, I really want to do this, you know, I really want to stay sober, it affects me emotionally, you know? And um, so I just want to say to that person again, thank you so much for being here tonight. And thank you for opening up and thank you for sharing. And thank you for bringing the magic to me tonight. You know, um, my favorite spot in the big book is on page 63. Freddie knows that book, but my favorite page is, is very at the top. It says, when we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed, you know? Remarkable might be defined by you in one way. To me, it's my, my diagnosis they gave me as a kid was schizophrenic, uh, uh, psycho schizoaffective with just a small homicidal tendencies, you know? So, <laughs> woo, I'm a mental patient. So anyways, so I'm, <laughs> I'm that guy, man, like, um, um you guys you guys anybody know where mesa arizona is anybody here know where any mormons out there okay so <laughs> i lived in homeless in a park called pioneer park right across the street from the mormon temple there there used to be a plane and a and a train in that park i used to sleep in the fuselage of that plane you guys got to picture me right i was a i'm a six foot one so i was like 136 pounds i look like a used q-tip okay i had uh i had a mullet Ow! you know what i mean and um i wore a trench coat i had like white parachute pants you can see my underwear through it some velcro pumas and, and you guys you guys know what a huffy is i had a badass little girl's huffy dude little light blue one with stickers and stuff on it and all my junk and gray garbage bags dude i was like a little grim reaper super tweaker pumping up and down main street you know what i mean i'm the guy that when you drove by well i feel better because there's that you know it's like <laughs> i had like um severe anxiety i had such severe uh, trauma and pain that I used to sleep in the fetal position. I would sweat the bed. I used to scrape my face with razor blades. I used to get dressed in the dark. I never looked at myself in a mirror. You know, um, I, I would I would shake and cower. I would stare oddly at individuals. I was broken. You know, and um, I brought a lot of negative attention on me. So I've been thrown in a dumpster. I was thrown in a trash can upside down. I've been stabbed. I've been beaten. I've been um, I've been called every name in the book, you know, and this is not random. This is, this is continual. This is pervasive, you know, and I had a little, little break one day, which I'll talk about. And um, if you looked at me too long, 
I started to get a feeling like you wanted to hurt me. So I would turn that into a desire to want to kill you. You know what I mean? You know, so like it, I, I was sitting in it, speaking in Canada and there's a dude sitting right where Vi is sitting on the screen. And I was like, and, and I'm like, you look at me too long, I'm going to kill you. And dude was like, shit. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I'm much better. I'm much better. You know what I mean? Look what you did. Look what you've done to me. You know what I mean? Look, look, guys, I'm going to tell you from my heart, Alcoholics Anonymous is not about just not drinking. It's about a dramatic change. Look what you did. My hair is all cut. I'm color coordinated. I have eight kids that I'm fully aware of. I've got like a, a social security number, a driver's license, a career. I've got some chick that thinks I'm nifty. I mean, like my life, is, I'm different. And so I came in here to not drink. But what you guys did is you ch you changed me. I have a hundred percent success ratio at failing at every single thing I've ever tried. All my relationships have ever ended in like some type of armed escort off the premises and a restraining order. You know what I mean? So like I'm not a big success story. So to think that I could actually do this is just is impossible. I have been changed. I have like a little mantra. Like what I do is I like I read a little, I write a little, I pray a little, and I help a little, and then I go to bed. And then while I'm sleeping, I'm changed just a little, you see? And then when I wake up, I'm given this power to try that again. So I just read a little, write a little, pray a little, help a little, and then I just go to bed. And while I'm sleeping, I'm changed a little. And over the days and weeks and months of just doing those four little things, I can look back on the history of my life and see that I've been changed massively, you know? So my dad's a Mormon bishop therapist. That's a lot. And, um, you know... So <laughs> super proud and uh and i have i've been i've been hurt so bad so often i remember when that gang stabbed me in towns in june in tucson and i remember getting up off the floor thinking i can get my dad's gun and i could shoot you dead and it became an equalizer that started to become a mantra it empowered me and gave me a feeling of peace you know so that's when i started thinking about taking lives of anybody that looked or hurt me and um 15 years old, man, I'm so virgin territory. I even had like a Pepsi. Like we only had three records in my house. We had the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. We had John Denver, Rocky Mountain High and a pirate copy of Jesus Christ Superstar. That was my rock, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm open, you know, it's like, so my, Matt Kelly threw me down the bus steps, threw my backpack on me and, and I landed on the curb and I hit my mouth and I could feel some blood coming in my mouth, right? And I was leaving, laying there on the ground and the bus driver told me to move my feet. He needed to shut the door to drive away. So I just pulled my knees into my chest and stayed on the ground and the bus drove away. And when the bus drove away, something clicked in my head like I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm no longer daydreaming. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go get my dad's gun. I'm walking the 2.1 miles to Matt's house. I'm shooting him dead on his doorstep and I'm going to kill myself. And then everybody can see what they've been doing to me, you know? And then, um. Except on my way there, I got distracted. I had my first cigarette. I met Dave. Dave took me to his house to smoke something else. And we, and we watched Mr. Rogers and laughed. And then we went, we went to a party at McCormick Ranch in Scottsdale, dude. And I remember walking into that house and hearing, you know, Danzig for the first time. Kiss, Metallica, Ozzy Osbourne, you know, like devil music. And like, and like, and like, like it, like grind into it. You know what I mean? Like it started, you know, and then um, walking back to the big, big barrel thing with a pump on it and a little tube. You guys ever seen one? And they pump it and fill my cup up. And I got a head of my beer like that. You're like a little beer lit. You have to picture, man, it's the eighties. I got like a V cut shirt with zippers on it, dude. I got zits and I'm so white. You can see the pulmonary function through me. I look like wham 
had a baby with freaking uh, like uh, like Richie Cunningham. Okay, and um, I'm kidding. <laughs> Got that beer, man. I remember when I did my first step with my first sponsor. He had me read like the first eight pages of Bill's story and identify where I thought, felt, and drank like Bill. Right. Well, Bill's first page starts talking about how he ignored the strong warnings and, and prejudice concerning drink of his people, right? I'm not supposed to drink. I'm supposed to sell Jesus door to door in Guam. You know what I mean? I'm not even supposed to have coffee, right? But I take that. I'm, I'm committing murder tonight. We're trying some new shit on the way out. You know what I mean? So I remember like I, I get that beer and it was like, bam, you know? I have no idea what your first night of drinking was like, man. The moment it hit my lips, it was like it took me to a place called I like it like that, you know? And and I just kept drinking. And I like started to dance to Morris Day in the time, dude. And I was headbanging to Quiet Riot, you know what I mean? And I remember one part going into the bathroom and looking at my house going, yeah. Like it, like there was a certain amount of alcohol that made this all work out, you know what I mean? And uh, must have worked good too, because Denise Johnson came up on me. I got lit load late my very first night, and that's a powerful experience for a virgin homicidal suicidal Mormon dork. You know what I mean? I was like, that was the greatest night of my life. You know, I <laughs> I was convinced my parents just had never gotten drunk or stoned, and if I could have just done that once with them, I would have changed the entire family dynamic. They just didn't know, you know. And I remember uh, like thinking like. I don't care about my church. That's a cult thing. I don't care about school. I don't care about my morals, my family, my education. Nobody ever told me I had potential. All right. You know, they were just happy I had clothes on and, and was, you know, like going to school. And um, I just remember giving myself to alcohol right there, like done. You can have me. As long as you give me a life worth living, I want to live that night forever, you know? And in six months, I'm still 15 years old, man, but I've changed. Like my hair grew out like winger. <laughs> I'm wearing all this black, you know what I mean? Like I got swag, I'm rolling. I remember coming up on my mom, like, hey, I need the car and, and you know, I'm gonna go party. And my mom's like, I don't know what party means, but you're 15, you're not taking the car. Well, my mom takes half a volume so she can get some rest at night, right? So I crushed three and I put in a fresca and knocked her ass out, right? And I sat her like, whatever, you didn't think about it. So I just sat her real still, dude. <laughs> I went out and took that station wagon to like five in the morning. When I came back, she not moved, you know. Now I'm getting a little uncomfortable. But at 10 o'clock, my mom comes, oh, I slept so good. I'm like, three, that's your dose tonight. I will, dude, I will drug you. I make up fake accents. I have fake backstories, fake names. I'm a shoplifter. I'm a creature. I have great jobs at Taco Bell, Burger King, Kentucky. I got fired from Wendy's in a day. And that story is for my sponsor. You know what I mean? Like, I am not to be left unattended with your girlfriend. Do not allow me to go in your bathroom without adult supervision. Do you understand? This, this is the kind of alcoholic I am. And to me, it doesn't matter. I don't know if you feel better when you drink. I feel better when I'm on my way to a drink. If I know we're going to party, I start to get a little excited. If I see the bartender, I'm like a freaking Pavlovic dog. I start to froth, okay? Because in my mind, that is magic. I don't care about the freaking liquidity of it, the taste of it. I care. I just know that magical things happen. When I take that in my system, I make friends. I make love. I get it. I have excitement. I have, and everything is okay, you know? I ended up in Huntington Beach, California. 25 years old and um, running away from Arizona. And I brought me with me and look, I've been arrested so often. It's a mode of transportation, dude. It's a way to get from Phoenix to Mesa. All right. So <laughs> it's like, I am not, I am not like, you know, you know, uncomfortable. All right. With the second cop car shows up, I know what's up. 
but um, I was coming home from live bait and I got uh, pulled over by a cop and got a DUI. That's the first time I got arrested for drinking too much. It just seems like a wussy charge, drinking too much and sentenced to AA. So I got a court card, man. That's how I came to AA. And, and I celebrated my court card in Mexico, right? I went to Mexico, man. On June 2 of 1993, I think the money I spent alone in Tijuana and the way I woke up on June 3 on Rosarita Beach with a six-foot plastic Santa Claus slightly deflated, an empty bottle of Goldschlager, a pink swatch, a sunburn on this side of my face, no pants on the beach, okay? That's the night. That's the fun I had. So when I drove back on June 3, I was like, so horrified and demoralized that I was like open-minded to try and to see what you guys had to offer. That's all. So um, what happened was I went to a place called Howe Hall. Does anybody know where Howe Hall is in Huntington Beach? You guys know where? It'll move on you. <laughs> it was on Beach in Atlanta way back then, man. So here I go walking to my first AA meeting. I'm a little court card. And, uh, and, and I got there early, you know, because I got I got issues. And um, it's got little good wheelchairs everywhere, dude. And there's like smells like cat pee in there. And you got a little to-do list on the wall and you got little blue Bible things stacked up in the corner. And you got a little cartoon with three guys in bed, not sure what your get down is. You know, I'm just trying to figure out what this whole AA thing is. And I go in the back and there's this like old, old, like Moses old guy, like palsy shake old guy, just scooping coffee, just scooping, just scooping no, way too much in, into the coffee pot, right? Well, I walk up to the old guy with my court card and I say, hey, I'm crazy and I need to get this sign. Can you help me? Hey, if you're new and you don't want to get sober, do not say that to an old person because that translates to, will you be my sponsor? That's what that means. And um, the old guy's name's Carl. Carl told me to sit down, don't say anything, he'd help me, right? So I'm just on my, I don't know why my leg is tapping, right? My hands are sweaty and I'm like, you know, I'm like starting to get hot flashes and I'm getting really uncomfortable. This is supposed to be helping me. And I'm watching all you guys. I'm trying to figure out what your, your thing is. And you guys got little nicknames like Big Book Bob and Stinky Pete and One-Eyed Willie and whatever. And you guys got little one-liners you say, like, let go, let God, and one day at a time. And, you know, you know <laughs> it's like you quote your little blue Bible thing and you're like, got you, you got little speeches you practice in front of the mirror. And you guys will clap and laugh at anything. You can say little bunny fuzzy slipper nipple and you're like, yeah, keep coming back. I mean, it was the most incredibly retarded thing I had ever seen in my life. It made no... Then it hit me in the head. I know what you got. This is how you guys go forehead to forehead. I won't drink if you don't drink. I won't drink if you don't drink. You call me every day and I'll call you every day. And we'll go to a meeting every single day. We'll say the same stuff every single day. Read the book every single day. Get rid of your friends. Get rid of your friends. That's a cult. You know what I mean? As soon as it hit me, the AA was a cult. And you guys were trying to get me. Dude, I was not leaving AA. I was running out in sheer horror from AA. Okay. And I'm just waiting for it to get done. And this little kid's all fired up and he's next to me and he's just, woo. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, it's so beautiful. When we get done, we hold hands and pray. And I'm like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's like, I'm gonna, I don't want to be a part of, you're not touching me. All right. So I'm leaving this meeting. But a remarkable thing has happened. See, something greater than alcoholism has showed up in my life just for a night. See, alcoholism is in charge of everything that I do. It doesn't just tell me when to drink, when to stop drinking. Alcoholism tells me, go date her, dude. That'll be great. <laughs> it says, quit your job. They don't like you here. It says things like, move, move. It says, dump your money. It says, stay up tonight. Let's watch The Office. It says, you know, hey, let's go have a birthday cake. Not a slice, the entire cake. Alcoholism is completely in charge of all my decisions and would never allow me to walk into a meeting of AA. 
because it knows that the solution to abolishing its grip over me is there, you see? So something just for a moment had to be bigger than alcohol is might allow me just to even walk in the room with you. Well, on my way to run out the door, I'm going to Lucky John's, man. I'm going to go get drunk and find something chickish and have a good night, you know, I'm come back and get my court card signed the next day. But on the way out the door, Carl got between me and the door, right? Now, this is good AA, all right? He didn't just win the old timer's prize for telling the new guy to sit down and welcome. That wasn't his 12-step message. He knew that a remarkable miracle had occurred and I had been allowed to come and sit just for 40 minutes with you. But I have, I'm terrified and I have no idea what I really have and I have no idea how to get rid of it. And I have no idea what that would even do for me if I did. He knew that if he did not give me some kind of action, some tool, some access to my higher power to, to take with me out the door, that I'm walking right back out to alcoholism and I'm clueless. So he got between me and the door and he gave me a book. He was a lot like Fred. He was a big book guy, you know? And uh, then he asked for my address. Now I was court ordered to be there. So I didn't know if it was okay to give him the fake one. So I gave him a real address, you know? And then he asked, and then he gave me a key and he asked me what time I got off work the next day. I was like, bro, you asked for a lot of information for like an anonymous program, you know? He's like, no, dude, we elected you the copy guy. And I was like, I, <laughs> what? And he goes, yeah, you need to be here early every Thursday for the next six months to make coffee. The, the, uh, now, all, I don't know if you've ever made coffee, but suddenly this wash of pride and, and, and ego showed up where I was like, I'm going to make the best damn coffee they ever had. Like, I'm a street homeless mental patient. I'm going to kick ass on your coffee, though. And I just remember going, not to Lucky John's, but going straight to the grocery store, filling my car up full of coffee stuff. And going home, dude. I was in a meeting one time, right? And there's this, there's this girl. She was in a, um, like a treatment center, and she's all, <laughs> you know, it's like, we, you know, and she's like, Sarah, she was drinking way too much Nyquil, and she got a buzz, and that triggered me. So, I smoked a lot of meth. <laughs> I was like, hey man, I lived in an unsober, sober living environment, okay. I had five dudes and we had bottles of Senta and um, bottles of vodka, gin, Goldschlager and Jägermeister permanently embossed in, in our fridge. We had a sofa made out of cases of beer in my garage. You, you walk in, you had to part the green cannabis curtain just to get to the living room. Do you understand? It was strip pool, kiss, rock and roll in our house. You put the cigarette butts in the shaggy carpet. That's it. We will vacuum that crap tomorrow. That's my house. And I rock in and I got all the copy crap and a little freaking key, dude. And I'm running past everybody, dude. And I run up to my room and I slam the door and I hide, you know. And like the next day I woke up like, damn, you know, like I'm 25. When I'm 75 years old, I'll be 50 years sober. You know, that's going to be like a record or something, you know. And, and then I started imagining how lucky you guys were to have me in your life. So I was <laughs> I got, like so fired up to be super sober with you guys. But then by noon, I was like, F this, I'm getting drunk, dude. I'm going, I'm going to Lucky John's. I'm going to go get drunk and shoot some pool, find something chickish and have a good. What makes you think I want to stop drinking? I remember what I was like before I drank. I was homicidal and broken. And now at least I, I have a life of some kind that's worth living. I am not giving that up for occasional issues. You know, <laughs> I just had this whole justification. So I was going to my house to get my pool stick to go out. But when I pulled up in front of my door, there was Carl out front of my door, like an Amway stalker, just waiting for me, dude. 
and uh, and he ju- he just said get in the car. Now I was court order to be with you, so I didn't know if it was like court appointed responsibility to do what he said. So I just got he kidnapped me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So apparently, when he asked for the information, we had a date. You know, and um, he took me to a place called Charlie Street. You guys know where Charlie Street is? So first off. I don't know. I've got, he's, we're driving, he's driving and he's telling me all about this. Oh, we're going to go give it away. I don't know what we got and I don't know what we're given. And I'd say, Carl, what are you talking to me? He's like, sobriety. We're going to go get sobriety. It's like, dude, I don't even know if you know this, but I got like one day and he's like, and here's what he taught me something. He said, listen to me. You don't listen to any damn fool in a meeting that tells you, you ain't got nothing to give until you got it. You get, you, you get what you give. So if you've got an inch of sobriety, you better get up a centimeter more if you want another one. You better start giving the moment you get it. You walk in one day of sobriety, you better start giving it away if you want another. And he said, if you walk into a meeting and you're not helping it, you're taking everything from the meeting and it will be taken from you. You get exactly what you give. And you are very, very, <laughs> he said like this, you are very, very, very selfish. And you need to give a lot. <laughs> it's like, dude, I only knew this guy for like 53 minutes. He's already attacking me and like so we go to a place called charlie street and that's what changed my life i mean it i walked in and i saw all these men first treatment and detox facility in orange county from the 50s for homeless and indigent men many of them with mental issues i am a homeless indigent man i watched you guys man you weren't being condescending you were being genuine you were feeding them soup and reading the book and telling stories from your heart you were there holding their hands. You were making sense. And I remember looking at Carl going, what's this? You know? And he goes, oh, those meetings, you should go to a lot of them. They really help. But that's not what we do. Did you hear what I said? Meetings are not what we do. Meetings are where we go to report what we're actually doing. Okay? So if you're not doing anything, shh, you ain't got nothing. <laughs> you ain't got nothing to say. Just... We don't want to hear about your ex-boyfriend and you lost your job and your dog exploded. Tell us what you're doing, right? You got 30 days, you can tell a story. I got a sponsor. I've been to three meetings a week. It's really hard. I haven't drunk. That's a, that's a report. You can have three days. I went to one meeting. I think it's crap. I think this is all shit, but I'm going to try it again. That's a report. You can say, I got one year, I got a sponsor, I use these steps, I access something greater than myself and I'm sponsoring others and my life has never been the same. That's a report. He said, that's what you do at those meetings. What we do, what we really do is this, bring the message of recovery to those who need it, want it. And in this case, who cannot get to it. So you just go tell them how you just stayed sober for one night. <laughs> Walked up to this old guy and he's like leaning against the wall and he's like, how do you, how do you stay sober? And I was like, I make coffee. <laughs> that was my entire report, man. That's all I had, you know, but it worked. And on the way home, he took me to an old timers meeting with men on God's doorstep. All right. Men actually older than Carl in a circle. We call it the colostomy row. Okay. And they, and I walk in and they're all, and he goes, the coffee makers here. See, Carl picked me up six days in a row and got me six coffee commitments in a row. I was a caffeine connection for Huntington beach, California for two effing years, dude. Okay. Now, let me tell you something about commitments for a second, all right? The meeting, the meeting doesn't need them, right? We don't need coffee makers, and we don't need door hangers and handshakers and secretaries and well-wishers and literature touters 
and treasures of the money and all that crap. We just need to get in a circle, bring your own damn coffee, tell us what you're doing and go do it, right? That's what the meeting needs. I need the commitment. And the reason I need commitments is because family has chores and family stays and guests get catered to, but they're just passing through. And the moment I get a commitment, I'm a member of the family and I'm more apt to stay. I have value. I become part of, I feel akin. I feel necessary. And so I believe that meetings should start almost creating like commitments. I always suggest that you should have somebody who's in charge of dusting outlets. <laughs> you know what I mean? Doorknob polisher is very important. We have our, our, our outlet duster here, Sarah. We want to give her congratulations because it, we don't need it, but we all need it, you know? So he was a big one on commitments. He was big on h and It was like schizophrenic wards at TRC Rail Treatment Center, Chapman House for the Kids, Suicide Wards, Metropolitan State Psychiatric. If you get time, you should ask me about that. Unit 407, the Kremlin Sin Lifers Ward. And then, you know, military bases. This was his big thing. So he did not tell me to go home and read and call him. We read together. He picked me up every single day, six to the seven days a week. He did not tell me to write and bring it to him. He came to my house and he said, if you, he would trick me, say things like, you want to come over and eat? I said, yeah, I want to eat. Well, come over. And I said, so what are we eating? He said, well, we're going to eat as soon as you get done writing. <laughs> so go sit down and write. See, Carl was either the most lonely member of Alcoholics Anonymous or he was like, this one's not going to drink. You know what I mean? Or perhaps he just read chapter seven about, you know, about working with others. And he talked about walking day by day with the new man. Maybe he just kind of read the stories of Dr. Bob and the good old timers, man. He just recognized how Bob and Bill just stood next to each other. And that these guys many times road dog with each other day in and day out. And he was just there for me. And we did that for five years, five years. You know what I'd start doing for my mom to make amends for drugging her? I got her a chip for my, 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 my <laughs> cause when you drug your mother, she deserves a coin, don't you think? You know what I mean? So like every year she's like, I love those chips, you know? And the only thing we ever argued about was I kept telling him there's no such thing as God. And he kept telling me I needed to find something bigger than him. And I just like, I heard good orderly direction in a meeting and I liked that. I also like don't drink no matter what. I was all about that one, right? And when he moved to Philadelphia, so did my higher power. And quick summation, I don't know, kind of a series of events happened and I just dropped my commitments, didn't have sponsees that were working with me at the time and just didn't come back to another meeting for a year. I decided to go experiment with don't drink no matter what. Say my serenity prayer, my sixth, my seventh step prayer, my third step prayer every morning. Don't drink. I took all that extra time and I started making money and I was making a lot of money, man. I was hauling butt playing and have an adventure the only reason i came back on my sixth year was to give my mom a chip right and then on my seventh year um i heard something AA i had never heard before i saw ab i saw i heard complete silence and looks of horror when i got done sharing for my seventh year chip and i don't know exactly what i said but it kind of sounds like this it was like hey my name's todd Seven years sober, only been at two meetings in two years because this is a cult. All you guys did was just transfer your addictions. Can't you fool see that? 
you just transfer booze for each other, man. I won't drink. If you don't drink, I won't just hang together and go to meetings together, say the same shit every single day. And we'll go to the same meetings every single day and read the book every single, single day and get rid of your friends, get rid of your fans, dodgeball tournament between NAAA, bang a tweaker. You know what I mean? Like just sit there doing all your little picnics, your conferences, your conventions, your sober hot dubbing. Hey, come on, man. I make more money in a month. You guys make in a year. You know what I mean? I've been written up in the Washington Post, man. I'm, I'm, I'm trekking the Sahara. I'm out there having a blast. I'm living more life than you will ever live because I have a simpler program. It's a two-step program. It's called Get Sober, Get Some, you know? And maybe it's time to stop hiding in here and go live your damn life. Now, if there's anybody here that wants to know more about my two-step program, follow me out the door and I will free you. You know what I mean? And I dropped the mic. You know, there's a little old lady like, do we clap? Do we do? <laughs> you know so i just like walked outside waiting for you to all he's got the answer you know come running up to me and you guys just shut the door and laughed so i didn't come back for two more years and that's a straight up truth four years not a drop nine years of continuous rock and roll sobriety there were some minor issues in my life some minor changes things like um Oh, I gained 80 pounds and I look like young Danish Santa. You know what I mean? I'm smoking two packs of cigarettes every single day. I'm shooting pool to one, two o'clock in the morning, five, six nights a week. I'm cheating on my wife with anything that looks like a girl, anything that looks like a girl on a weekly basis. I have insomnia again. I can't sleep. I have a spontaneous crying fits. I'm rocking myself. I'm hiding in the walk-in closet. I get, uh, I get really, really angry really fast. I'm starting fight, fist fights at the Bank of America, ATMs, and at Del Taco. I pulled, the, I pulled the cashier, the drive through cashier at Del Taco into my car and started beating them. Um, I want to kill my neighbor. So I went out and got some guns. I got a 38 special in my glove compartment. I got my Winchester in my trunk. I've got a knife in my left pocket. Um, I got a 357 nickel plate that I've got underneath my bed, and I'm not a hunter. You know what I mean? And I'm just thinking about taking my own life and trying to come up with good reasons why I should live another day. I cry every single night, man. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm embezzling from my company and I started a little escort service. So now I'm a pimp. <laughs> I'm a fat, homicidal, suicidal, Santa smoking hooker pimp. Hey, other than that was going pretty good. You know what I mean? The whole don't, don't. Hey, can you do me a favor? Can you stop saying don't drink no matter what? Can you stop inferring that for some reason I might have power over my alcoholism? Can you suggest maybe chance something that gives me access to the power, like go to a meeting no matter what, call your sponsor no matter what, sponsor another person no matter what, pray to God no matter what, do what the book says no matter what, give me something, because I'm here to report to you that I did every single thing, felt every single feeling that you can feel drunk without disruption. In four years, for every intensive purpose, I was completely not sober. Just, but I get to celebrate the fact that no booze was inside of me. And I could not come back to Alcoholics Anonymous if you dragged me. See, I have alcoholism, and it told me to sit my ass there, and you are not going anywhere. You will do exactly what I say. And maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but you're dead, and I got your number. You understand? And the only reason I got back was because some employee of mine over at my office came knocking on my door and said, little Kyle, dude, Kyle's like, hey, boss, I heard you haven't had a drink in nine years. And I remember like, like a tweaker going, yeah, it, it, it's great. <laughs> and he asked me if I could take him to an AA meeting. The only reason I gave him a ride to the AA meeting because there was a strip club in the same parking lot called the library. And I was going to drop him off to his meeting. I was going to go have my own meeting. And then I was going to use him as an alibi and then come home. Okay. 
But on the way there, he made the mistake of going like this. Will you sponsor me? I want what you have. You know what I mean? Isn't it exciting? <laughs> I was like, remember the moment he asked me that something washed over me that really like, I hate me. I want to kill me, but he's innocent. We need to get better right now and help this guy. And I literally told him, I will show you my way. <laughs> Man, like we went straight to the meeting. I, I told him to go smoke. I walked up the first old guy. Say, hey, old guy, I'm your new sponsor. My name's Todd. I got a little hooker thing we need to talk about. But right now I need two of them book things because I got to work with my new sponsor. You know what I mean? And then I was like, I'm going to make this my home group. That's my old guy. I got my books. I'm going to go get H&I qualified coffee. So I walked up to this dude making the coffee, right? And I was like, hey, dude, I need to make the coffee. He's like, no, I make coffee, bro. And I <laughs> took that coffee from him, you know what I mean? Because I didn't know if it was the coffee or the old guy or the book or the whole. We just know you need to get me better because I got a sponsor. You got to go help Kyle, you know? We did his first step at Gold Hill Tavern, okay, over Red Bull on ice at a game of pool, dude, like in Costa Mesa. We're shooting pool in the bar. And he's like, I don't think we should be in a bar. I'm like, you can't hide from booze, Kyle. It's everywhere, bro. You know what I mean? He was in there shooting pool, reading the book. And by the time I got to his third step, we're in my backyard and I'm on my knees and I'm crying because I could feel myself very different. And he thinks I'm manic, you know, you know, and um, I'm 10 years sober in Temecula. That's where I first met Fred. I had a 38 special sitting in my left pocket. I came in armed into the meeting for no other purpose other than the fact that that's just I'm still that person. And I just want to encourage you to be very, very cognizant of the fact that just because a man or a woman has 10, 15, 20, 30 years of sobriety does not make them super magically significantly sober. I was a criminal. I was 90 days back in AA. I, I couldn't tell you which way, which, way, which way was up. All I knew was that I, I was blessed with a guy that was following me around and we were doing the steps together. And then I had another one and another one and another one. What saved my life was Kip Collins, my grand sponsor over, over at the Robber's Roost, an old Mexican mobster who spoke a lot for AA, who walked right up to me and put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, you know, I like you. He says, your lies are pretty. <laughs> and he said this, he said, when the real version of us does the steps, we get real different. And when the fake version of us does the steps, we get real drunk. And I hope you get real, real soon. And that's the night I decided I'm going to conduct the experiment of Alcoholics Anonymous. See, that's the, that's the night that I figured, you know, I'm going to find out if this is a hypnotist show. I'm going to do exactly what it says in the book, rigorously, not thorough, and tell all my story. I'll write all those words. I want to see if you can change a man like me. See, can you give a man like me integrity? Can you help me sleep at night? Can you help me find my laughter? Can you help me tell the truth? Can you help me stand up to somebody even if they don't like me? And even if they don't like me and there's a reason for it, can you help me be okay with myself? Can you help me stay and be a good dad? Can you help me be a good employee? Can you help me be a good business person by using integrity and, and, and diligence and all the principles? Let's see, okay? So I wrote my entire four step. I got up at 6 a.m on Thursday till two o'clock, 16 pages front and back. And I went over to my sponsor and I said, I said, I'm going to share this with you. You need to hear this now. And I remember sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing. And when I got done, my sponsor at the time, his name's Bobby looks at me, he goes, you might need outside help. <laughs> and he wasn't even talking about a psychiatrist. What he's trying to do is explain to me what a home group is. 
see a home group is not your favorite meeting just because you like to go to it over and over again everybody knows your name it's not cheers a home group's a band of brothers is band of sisters or sisters and brothers with the purpose of bringing recovery it's a library of experience strength and hope we're not in the advice business we're in the demonstration business you can't come up to me and ask me for a perspective on something I've never lived through and I've definitely never used the tools for. I don't know if you should stay with her or she should leave her. My grandson, my only grandson, remember I have eight kids. My oldest daughter had given me the blessing of a grandson and he turned two and I taught that boy how to walk. He grew up in my home. And on his second birthday of May 10th, this was just a two years, a year and a half ago. Eight days later, I'm speaking in Seal Beach and I get the phone call that my grandson had gone into my pool, gone through the doggy door, drowned and died. What do you have to say to me? If you have never lost a child in sobriety, what do you know? I didn't ask you to help me or tell me what you think to do or what pages to read. I decided to go to my home group and find the man. I found a man I spoke with at the San Diego convention. He had actually lost his son and he'd walked through like a champion using the traditions and steps. So I asked him to sponsor me through that. I was sitting in my, on my office one day, I got a knock on the door and a girl that I had dated about six years earlier, one time for about an hour, Decided to knock on my <laughs> knock on my door and congratulate me and let me know I have a daughter. And then I went to my home group that night. I got a phone call from a Catholic priest that say an hour later after I said, "Dear God, show me what to do." And the phone rang and it was, it was it was the Catholic priest of Temecula. And he's like the Archbishop from Hell's Kitchen decided to go, like, "Hey, you want to ride to that roost thing?" You know. And uh, I can't even tell you how many men from my home group decided to give me all kinds of crazy advice. Don't give her anything. Don't tell your family keep her hidden, tell her to kick rocks, just try to get your money, you know? And um, I have a relationship ideal. I found a guy who actually went through the same thing. He said, the, the most pressure, whatever you do right now, that little girl will remember it forever. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. That little girl will remember it forever. So I rushed home and I said, I have a daughter. And everybody said, okay, go get her. And I rushed off to her and said, I'm your dad. I want to be your dad forever. And she said, you're exactly who I imagined you would look like. She's blonde and she's precious and she's smart and she's 15 years old and she's my muse, man. Did you see? We don't give advice. We give experience, strength, and hope. So your home group is a library of it. And if you don't, if they, and, and you got to tell them your fist steps, you can't just tell your sponsor. You got to practice your fist steps with your men and women that you trust so they know who you are, so they know how to tap into your stories of power, you know? And uh, started sex and sobriety workshops at Back to Basics retreats. We hold twice a year, not a while. And I started being the guy that people called up to talk about 69 through 71, about getting your relationship ideal and trying to build faithfulness and true morals and integrity. I started counseling and coaching um, single mothers' children for free. I started uh, donating, like I said, blankets and money and, and things and anything I weigh, I could pay back for what I took from women climate, bring, building better men and trying to show that I can be one too. Went to my partner and I said, hey, I took the money and I, I, what do you want? And he said, I want everything you own. And I said, okay. And I remember the mediator asking me if, they, if, I, if I had thought they had been fair with me. And I said, I didn't come here to get fair. I came here to get free. I just wanted to conduct the experiment. I wanted to see if I didn't shy away from my financial commitments. If I, if I didn't run away from any of the amends I need to make. If, if you would actually help me become sober for once in my life, not just physically sober, but sober. 
when I started practicing these tools, I, I said the seven step prayer every single day. I remember Bob telling me, stop lying. That's impossible for you. He says, so what I want you to do is I want you to practice telling the truth. <laughs> so I call him on the phone and say, Bob, I told the truth twice today. I'm up one. <laughs> that was my responsibility just to practice the principles and then let the defects figure themselves out and say the seven step prayer, you know? And um, when I got to my, I think I was 18 years sober when I was going to go speak in Laughlin and I heard a Mark Houston CD talk about the 10th step and it changed my life. And Mark said he was 18 years sober when he realized he'd actually never done the words continue. Do you know what the word continue means? Continue means to keep doing what you're doing. You wrote your fourth step out. What makes you think you should, your brain is qualified to now sit and audit your day in your head? What kind of sobriety would we have if we had done a, a personally brain audited four step? He said, continue means we, could, we do in a single night for our day, what we did in our fourth through ninth. We write it. So I got a journal on. He said, you answer the questions on page 86, second paragraph down. Was I resentful? And if you were, do a resentment inventory. Was I afraid? Do a fears inventory. Do I have a secret that should be shared at once? You know, and I write out those secrets. Do I have a, do I owe someone amends? What could I have done better? You know, and then also don't drift to morbid reflection. I started writing my, my miracles and my epiphanies and the special things I noticed changing in my life, you know? And so ultimately, like, um, I started taking that date, that data and highlighting my, my promises in pink and making my amends the next day. And all of a sudden I noticed what Mark said. He said, I'd never been sober before. And I finally started to notice things. I cried at Toy Story 3. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. I see little babies and I stop and I stare at them and I just, my heart just starts to warm. I'm sitting there and I call my mother and I tell her, I love you. And she says, I know. I said, no, mom, I love you, man. You know, and tell you a story about my mom. I remember my mom, mom. my mom was uh, coming home from her, um, this is 2005. She was coming home from Arkansas from a divorce and she flicked a cigarette out the window. She got the truck on fire and burned everything she owned to the ground, you know? She's stuck on the side of the road. She calls me and she says, son, I'm penniless and I have no possessions and um, I have nowhere to live. And I've been lying to you and Kara. I said, I have a stage four cancer and I'm going to die. And I'm finally a sober man and I have a home and a bedroom for her, you know, and a car. So I rush to my mom and I say, mom, you, you can come into my home. I don't care how short or long your days are. This is your car. This is your bedroom. This is your allowance. I got you. I'll rub your feet. I will comb your wig. And when you transition, I will be here to hold you, you know? And if anybody knows what I'm talking, if you've had to live this experience, it's like a really powerful and beautiful experience, you know, except the fact that um, she got better, dude. And uh, now she won't effing leave. <laughs> that was in 2005, bro. That's been like 16 years, man. She's like, iPhone 11, <laughs> verbal contract, you know? I have these beautiful, like, um, like significant moments in my life. Like when um, I'm in Northwest Canada, I'm speaking to the Sioux Indians of like uh, thousands of Sioux and Chief Joe Dion, the national president. I'm having this beautiful experience. I'm doing these sweats and I get this phone call um, that my middle daughter, Jillian is a very sensitive creature, tried to hang herself. 
and they took her Riverside Mental Health. And guess what the diagnosis was? Possible schizophrenia. Sound familiar? So I rush home and I don't know how to be a dad. I know how to be a sponsor. Everything I learned on how to like raise animals and children comes from you guys, you know? So I just remember saying, hey, um, before you take all those meds, I'm going to go speak at a Crystal Meth Anonymous convention in Phoenix. You want to go with me? I think it'll be a fast meeting. <laughs> so she gets in the car and we're driving there. And on the way there, I just start telling her all the things that made me want to take my own life, my secrets, you know, I start sharing some of my fist up with her. And she looks at me and she goes, I like girls, dad. And I was like, hell, me too. High five. Come on, bring it. Let's go to Hooters. You know, and that was it. It was done. And then she was like, do I have to believe in that Christian thing of moms? I said, no, come on. We'll go to the bookstore. We'll go find that thing. Like Mankind's Search of God it talks about all the different philosophies and perspectives. You find the thing that talks to you. I'm a mountain climber. There's many trails up the mountain. The most important way to get to the top is just to pick a trail and stick to it. It don't matter. I told her it's kind of like gravity, babe. I said, you know, you get on a roof, you jump, you fall. Okay. Now that's gravity. You define it wrong and see if that changes the momentum. <laughs> see, you know what I mean? See, call it hoping magic. Ooh, floating. You know, you, it doesn't matter what you call it. That's called universal law. Well, let me tell you guys something. Since June 10th of 1935 to right about now, two men, you count all 12 South programs stemming from AA, there's been 6 million permanent recoveries. The average alcoholic or addict spends 38 failed attempts in managing, disrupting, controlling, or abolishing their own use. Failed. So if you just use that subset, 6 million times 38, that's 228 million case studies. I'm sorry, but we've circumnavigated every human configuration. If I give you a piece of paper and pen, you are not coming up with 228 million and one great ideas. There's always some smart person in the room going, I got an idea. You're a mental patient. You know what I mean? But we've roughly done the same thing. God has sponsored, used the steps, accessed something greater than ourselves, and then, and then helped others. Permanent recovery. You know, it's getting to the point where past special theory, we're in universal law. It doesn't really matter what magic you think is actually making this happen. And I'm not going to tell you who my God is in this meeting because it's none of your business. You want to know what my higher power is? You meet me after meeting. I'll share with you. I'll just tell you I found one. I have it. And it's magical to me. But I do know that if I use these steps and I access that and I help others, that I continue to be changed, not change, be changed. You know, and my daughter was like, hell, I'm going to go find my own. She is amazing. She is getting married. I like, I actually like the guy she's marrying. Man, you know, out of my eight kids, six of them are daughters. I think we should have like 30 seconds of just silence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Now I'm only, I know I'm supposed to shut up, right? Just, it, I got one minute. That's it. All right. I didn't know how much time I'm supposed to. We, we could have been doing this till 10 o'clock. So let me say it like this to you guys. Okay. First off. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I owe it so much. That's why I'm here with you tonight, because I am here to not, I hope I reported on what I did. I wouldn't spend too much time, time telling you what you should do. I know I did a little, but I hope I reported on what I did and what was done to me. I would encourage you, if you want to take something, anything from what I shared tonight, is keep it simple. Read a little, write a little, pray a little, help a little, go to bed. I promise you whatever you believe in will change you just a little. And then one day, if you do that day by day and stack those days, one day you will also look back on your life and you will say, wow, remarkable things have really truly followed. And that's all I've got to say. I think that's enough words. I'll shut up now. How's that?